And I'll get over it, all the kids leaving when I get up each week, but they can stay. You can tell them they can stay if they'd like. But uh, It's on? We're good. Well, many things that are called to remembrance over the holiday season, being thankful for. And I was thinking for Diane and for me, we are so incredibly thankful to be a part of this church. Um, Never would have dreamed it last year, even a few months ago, that we would be here and be a part of what God's doing. And our desire to see the Lord continue to do great and mighty things exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, it's just, it's great to be back, even though we enjoyed our little bit of time away during Thanksgiving, to be back, to be here this morning. What a great joy. Uh, to be able to sing and to be able to lift up our voices in praise to God. Just taking off a little bit of what Paul was speaking about, how when man works, man works, and we get what man can do. When God works, there is no limit to His power. There is no limit to His knowledge. God is great and He is good. He's an incredible God. And so when we pray, we access an almighty God. And that's why we'll say that the greatest work that we do, the greatest time consumer for ministry, so to speak, is to pray. But I also find that that's probably the hardest thing for me to do. Because I'm much more satisfied by expending energy. In other words, if I could go do this, check off a list, go here, do this, lift this, move this, I feel better about what I'm doing. But prayer is putting yourself in a very humble, dependent position, which does not feed the ego. (laughs) It's the most humbling thing for us to do is, is to be completely dependent upon the Lord in prayer. I thought of this as most recently as a grandfather. And we talk about grandparents spoiling their kids, and I think it's every grandparent's right to do that um, and their joy. (laughs) We have fun with our grandkids. What can I do for them? What can we buy for them? If I were to have an audience with the Lord and he were to say, Matt, Pick out one of your grandchildren, and I'll pick out my the middle one, Evan, since he needs the most prayer. And he were to say to me, Matt, what request would you like to make for Evan? And I think, here's, here's a young boy that I really love. You may think of someone in your own mind, of someone you really love that God is going to say, make a request. What do you want? How are you going to pray? And how would I pray for Evan? My first thing that comes to my mind is that he'd behave. <laughs> oh, you can pray for a lot of things. All through those early years, you know, when you're praying on the behave, don't get in trouble, be good in school, to later on, I hope you find the right wife, you get a good job, you have a good, good career. Many, many things that we could pray for. I do believe that the most effective thing I can do as a friend, as a grandparent, as a parent, as a pastor, is to pray for someone else. 
And that's why Paul described this intercessory prayer, praying for someone else, as, as something that brought great joy to his heart. Something that really encouraged him, which is really the theme of the book of Philippians. So if you, you have your Bible, uh, you can turn to Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to be looking today at verses 1 or verse uh, 9 through 11. Learning about prayer. The disciples asked Jesus, because they watched him always pulling away, spending great amounts of time in prayer. It was such a central part of the life of Christ. Disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And then he shared with them the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. There's also a lot that we learn about Paul's prayers. And today we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 11 of chapter 1. We'll take a couple of weeks to go through this because it's so packed full of truth that is helpful for us today. But like many of Paul's prayers, we get insight into what he prays for, how he prays, and we learn by that. You're going to see something that's consistent throughout his prayers there in Colossians chapter 1. Ephesians chapters 1 and 3, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, you find these patterns and there are a lot of similarities. One, Paul in his praying is not generic. He's not general. He's very specific. We tend to be general. Lord, bless us this day. Hope we have a great day. Bless this food. Bless. We, we, we speak in generalities it's easier. You don't have to think. <laughs> we tend to do that a lot. So he is, he is not general. He is not generic. He is very specific. Secondly, you rarely find Paul praying for himself. Now, it's not wrong to pray for yourself. I think that, that we, we should pray about everything. But generally, Paul is praying for people he loves. He spends time interceding. Third, most of his requests are spiritual in nature and not physical. Now, I've been to a lot of prayer meetings in my life. I don't know how many you've been, how many church prayer meetings you go to. You can probably count that over 90% of those requests are for physical things. Now, I don't want to diminish that because I do believe that God cares about that, and God tells us to pray about everything. Even as Paul prayed about his thorn in the flesh. Do you remember that? He's, he prayed that God would remove the thorn in the flesh. We're not sure what that was. It could have been something more spiritual in nature. But we tend to pray for physical things. Paul prays for spiritual issues. And then finally... His prayers are eternally focused. In other words, the long range, the long look, not just the immediate need. And we're going to see that in this prayer. This is, this is a, a very well-known prayer. It is, it is loaded with truth that I, I feel hits us right where we live today. And, and we'll read the first, these three verses, and then I'm going to focus this morning just on verse 9 rather than try to get more in than I can. And this is my prayer, that your love 
may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. It may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul's prayer is simply this, and I think that we could sum up the entire three verses. My prayer is that your love will abound. And then he'll go on to describe what that looks like and to the end for which it is, is for the God's glory. But the simple request is this. My prayer for you is that your love may abound. That really, to me, there is no better prayer for your grandchildren, for your children, for your friends, for your loved ones, and for your own life than this prayer. Paul is incredibly focused. This isn't generic. He's praying for something that is absolutely central to the Christian life. Now, it's not new. Paul's prayer has always been uh, God's desire for you. His prayer has been what has been taught all through the Scriptures. In the book of Deuteronomy, which we go back to the book of the law, and we look at what God is saying in chapter 6 and verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. This was called for Jewish families at the time, the Shema. The Shema was the oral recitation of the law. And this is, a, this is what what Paul is referring back to. What, how did they sum up everything? We want this to be on your heart, that you love the Lord with all of your soul, all of your being. And, and this is what we want you to teach to your children. Now, the second part that we would make reference to is in Leviticus, where we also read in the law, to love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19, verse 18. These are the words that Christ reiterates when we come to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 22. So you don't need to turn there. You can look up on the screen as as we'll have this. But in Matthew chapter 22, you remember one of the Pharisees came and was asking the question of what is the great commandment? What is the greatest commandment? And And I would think that probably for most of us, we think we start thinking about things that are important to us that we would like to see that are lacking. But what Jesus says in Matthew 22 and verse 37, he says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it." Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. 
So you've heard Mike say this, love God, love others. You say, well, that, that's just kind of, no, it's more than that. You don't just love God and love others. This is exactly what Christ is saying. All the law, everything you've heard, if you sum it up, it's about love. Now, here's what, here's what typically we think. Well, no, you've got you've to put in there God's holiness and ju- God's justice and God's righteousness and everything else. And Jesus is saying, I did not come to abolish the law, but to what? To fulfill it. I came to fulfill it. So Jesus Christ hits the holiness issue head on with his love. In other words, he did not dismiss holiness or righteousness or justice. He satisfied all of those righteous, holy demands through the giving of himself upon the cross in the expression of love. That's why I think that the centrality of our teaching, the centrality of what we want for our children is this, to love God with all of your heart, to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you can take all of the law, all of the prophets, everything that is said, and rest it here in this place. So it's not, it's simple, but it's not simplistic. Love God and love others. It is the Shema, the Old Testament law. It is again reiterated by Christ. He has fulfilled all of this. He teaches it again. He sums it it up completely. And then if we go to the teaching of the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 13, this is is the very well-known passage. And actually it it, uh, begins in chapter 12, the last part of uh, chapter 12 when it says, "And, And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, or your translation may read, give my body to be burned. Actually, it it, it is meaning if I just expend or burn out my whole life for God that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So here's, here's what Paul is saying, is taking what is in the Old Testament teaching, what Christ reiterates, and now he's spelling it out, if you have the greatest faith, you have the greatest life, you do the most wonderful things, you just burn out your life and expend it for God, and you are the hardest working, you do everything right, and you don't have love, you don't have anything. Wow. I believe this, too, that for a church to have love is the toughest thing. For a person to have this kind of love is the toughest thing. It'd be a lot easier for us to go out and do stuff for God. And typically, this is how we measure ourselves. What we do and how much we do for God. And we also tend to judge other people in the same way. What are you doing for God? What have you done lately? How do you measure those things? 
But love is the key. And this is what he is saying again here. It profits me nothing. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. And it says the only thing that counts is faith evidencing itself in love. That's the only thing that counts. Real, genuine, authentic Christianity. A real faith. What does it look like? Like love. You say, well, how important is it? I had made reference to one of the the quotes of the Shorter Catechism of the Westminster Confession where it says, the chief end of man, and what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. You're going to find that a lot of these sayings will go back all the way to the early church. But I love John Piper's quote. If you've not heard this, you you can write this down. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. So why would Paul talk about just this one thing? I mean, isn't love in the list of all these other things? Let's go back to my grandson. Would you, would you as a grandfather like to see him behave? Absolutely. <laughs> I want to see him be a good boy. Uh, I want to see him succeed. There are a lot of things that I want to see my grandson be and do. Love resolves all of it. It resolves all of it. In other words, if you take the Ten Commandments and you say to, you can sum all of those up By loving God and loving others. The first few commands deal with our relationship to God. The last section of the Ten Commandments deal with our relationship with others. So rather than say, well, I want my son to be honest and have integrity. I I don't want him to steal. Uh, I I don't want him to lie. I don't want him to commit murder. I want all of these things. Love resolves all of it. You say, well, I wish wish my, my friend would guard their tongue. Love resolves that. You see, when you love God with every fiber of your being and you love your neighbor as yourself, it resolves everything. So the focus doesn't need to be scattered. I'll do this and do this and do this and I'm going to work on this. I'm going to work on this. I'm going to work on this. That's why when we come back to the section in in Galatians where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, real genuine love, is going to result in patience and peace and kindness and unity. And real love is going to love truth. That's what Paul was talking about earlier too. Well, what about truth? Well, they go together. (laughs) See, a love for God is going to be a love for His truth. It's going to be a love for His holiness. And so, when my affections are right, my love is focused to love God with all of my heart, to love my neighbor as myself. It's simple. It resolves everything. That's why you can say in the Old Testament, you can take all of the law, all 600 and some points, 613 points of the law, and hang it on this, on the principle of love. Amazing, isn't it? So, how important is love for for you and for this church? It's the sum of all the commands. It's the height of spiritual maturity. It is the mark 
of authentic Christianity. Remember we talked about how Christ said that this is how they'll know you're my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. He could have said, well, it's because of your doctrinal statement. It's because of your, uh, your plans this weekend. It's because of what you did here, here, here. No, he says, this is how they know. This is how they know is by the love that you have for one another. And then it is what produces joy. (laughs) You see, when a church is in love with God and love with one another, it produces joy. And that's the way the whole message that we find of Philippians is evident in this way is, is the fruit of that message. And so this is why a very simple prayer. This is my prayer for you. This is how I pray for you. I'll pray this way for my grandson. This is how I pray for you. Is that your love will abound more and more. Now, there are some qualifications. And I'd like to spend a little bit of time just on verse 9. Because I think if we don't really understand what we're talking about, uh, what, what this love really means, we really don't get all the applications. So you'll bear with me a little bit on this. In, in the English language, to express the word love, we have one word, love. <laughs> okay? Um, so I would use the word love in this way. I love God. I love my wife. I love Mike. I love all of you. I love pizza. <laughs> I love the Broncos. I didn't love what they did last uh, Sunday night. Now, we use that word for all of those things. Now, there's a difference between my love for my wife and my love for Mike and a love for all of you and a love for pizza. And, and the only way you know is that you assume in the context that I have. And I hope you assume properly. It's not the same. But that's the only word that I have. And, and, and so if you, if you look into the Greek language, and the New Testament is written in Greek, and I'm not saying that everybody has to go uh, study Greek. That might be very painful for you to do. Some of my most painful years in seminary, studying Greek. But Greek is a lot more specific and it opens up. And you can usually read these kinds of things in a commentary. A book that I'd recommend if you ever get a chance to dive into this separately is called The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis. But the Greek language, and the Greeks would speak in language, they would use different words for different meanings. The first word is what storge. And storge, uh, and we, we would translate this love. So... The Greeks would say storge, I would translate this love. But storge is a familial, comfortable, pleasurable, enjoyable, nostalgic love. And typically we, would, we, we could use it this way, I, I love to go home. I love this house. Well, the truth is you really don't like that house that much, but it's just like it's comfortable. <clears throat> and and or you might say I love mom's my favorite thing that mom makes and you know it may not really be that good. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> In fact, when you go back to your hometown and and have that home cooked meal and a lot of times you man I used to think this was really really special. 
but it's comfortable. And it may be an old pair of slippers that, you, you know, they're slowly falling apart. You're thinking, you know, I hate to get rid of these things. I just love these slippers. And so there are a lot of things in, the, the, in life that we have that we'd say, I love that. I, I, I love being here. I love going back home. I love being with family. It's, it's enjoyable. It's pleasurable. Uh, I have memories that, that tie back. And all of us, whether you're a nostalgic person or not, you have some degree of that in you if you're, if you're human. There's some things you love. And so that, that word is used. The second word that you're probably, you've heard used more often is the word phileo. Uh, brotherly love. Uh, it's where Philadelphia comes from, the city of brotherly love. You know, it's not too much that way. Phileo is the is a is a love that we have because we're surrounded around a common theme it's not so much of me loving you or you loving me but but we are brought together by something we have in common does that make sense so if we were to say that our passion and pursuit is the gospel to the ends of the earth and i have that and you have that we all have that then then this common passion, this love that we have is, is built upon something we're pursuing together. And you can have people join in and some people leave. Um, it doesn't change the fact that you have a phileo. What is holding us together is, is our common bond for a purpose or for a cause. And we find this throughout the New Testament. The third word that is translated love is the word eros. And we don't find this in the New Testament as far as the teachings, but it is a common Greek word, eros. Now, typically, the first thing that comes to your mind, you think of eros, erotic, is physical, sexual love. But I want, I want to back up a little bit on this because the, the, what's different about eros is when this one person has a love for this person. And it is, it is not about a cause. It is about the person themselves. Okay, now typically in the Bible we say in a biblical sense, a man for a woman. And so when this man loves this woman, there's not room for another person to join in. And you can't take someone out of the equation. Okay, so the love here is about the person. So the man loves the woman, the woman loves the man, and the physical part is a part of that. But it's not just sexual relationships. It is that one man or one woman, there are two people, and this is where we would talk about intimacy and closeness and the bond between two people. Those are the three that we find in common Greek usage during the day. Now, the new word that you're even more familiar with, but it's different than these is the word agape. And agape love, I would describe agape is different in that it is unconditional. Okay, it's not prompted by familiar, comfortable settings. It's not drawn to a particular person. And it's not joining together in a common cause. It is something that is unconditional. Secondly, it is sacrificial. It is it is when, when we talk about a love relationship, well, I give if you give and we share this. No, it is completely giving 
completely giving without expectation of getting something back. So it's unconditional, not prompted. It's giving. And then the third word that I'd use is volitional. It's, 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 you exercise your will. It's not just a feeling that comes about you. It is something you choose to do. And, and I really want to make the point that when we use this word in Paul's prayer, that your love may abound. We're talking about agape love. It is unique and it is different. And so when I, when I look at the, the uniqueness of this word, this extraordinary type of love, it is unconditional, it is sacrificial, it is volitional. And there's so many great texts that, that support this. But I'd like to just back up and say, okay, how do we define agape love? How do we describe it? And how do we see it demonstrated? To define it is, is going to be tough because except for to go to 1 John 4, 7, and 8, where we read simply, God is love. God is love. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So God is love. That's how we define it. Remember we were talking about how that your view of God is the most important thing about you? Because how you view God will determine how you view everything else. How do you view God? How do you see God? And I think probably the, 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 most, the foremost expression of God and His character that surrounds all that He is, is His love. Because the love of God deals with everything. It deals with holiness. It deals with justice. It deals with righteousness. It deals with everything. The love of God expressed. So the definition, God is love. And so... We, we come to understand love as we come to understand Him. How is love described? In Matthew chapter 5, in the last part of chapter 5, verse 40, it says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's how the Jews would talk. Now, we love our family. We love our friends. We, we hate our enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Not even the tax collectors are doing that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now that last verse, be perfect. What is the bond of perfection? It's love. Be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. So we're, we're coming off of a culture that says we love our family and friends. To what, what Christ is saying this is that that you love God, yes. You love fellow believers, yes. You love your neighbor. You remember the question, who is my neighbor? And then we get the, the story of the Good Samaritan. Your neighbor is everyone. <laughs> and then finally, here in the end of chapter 5, the, the extreme case, love your enemies. So, love is unconditional. This is something extraordinary. This is something that 
that we do not, we have a hard time comprehending in any sort in the natural mind. So, back to 1 Corinthians 13, when, I, when we ask, how, how would you describe it? So, love, love being described in a way that, uh, by words that can depict it. In verse 4 of chapter 13, it says, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes and perseveres. Now, let me ask you a question. Because I, I, could, I, I could say, do you love God? Everybody go, oh yeah, I love God. Do you love everybody here at church? Yeah, I love everybody. Okay. We're really easy. We, we throw the word around. We use the word all for everything don't we? We use it for everything. And we just assume that, well, you know, because I said it, it's true. Okay, now let's look at the very first description. Love is patient. I don't know about you, but I'm done. (laughs) I don't need to go any further. I don't need to examine myself any further than the first one. And ask myself, Matt, are you patient? I hang my head. No, I'm not. I look down there, I, th- I see things like self-seeking. That's usually why I'm not patient, is because I'm a pretty self-absorbed person, and so are you. Kind. Not boasting. Not easily angered. Bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things. Does that really describe my life? I don't know about you, but I hang my head. But here's the beauty about this prayer. (laughs) Paul is saying, I'm praying that your love will abound more and more. In other words, you already have this. But 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 you haven't completely matured. And folks, here's the thing. We're in school the rest of our lives. One of the things that's gotten me a little bit depressed, because I used to think that, you know, by the time I was 40 years old, or at least by 50, that I kind of get this stuff. And I still read, I still read this chapter and it, and it hits me right here. You know why? Because I am not going to be fully mature and fully developed or what, what uh, Jesus said in, in uh, Matthew chapter 5, perfect until I'm with Him. But this is my prayer that more and more in the life of Matt Olson, that love would abound. It would grow. It would develop. It would mature. Because if that's happening, everything else gets resolved. Everything else is getting resolved. Galatians chapter 5. This is another passage that's very familiar to us. It talks about the fruit of the Spirit. When we say, what does authentic, real Christianity... How can you tell a person's a Christian? Authentic, real Christianity. Well, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what love looks like. Now, this is not, that is not storge, that is not phileo, that is not eros, that's agape love. 
And agape love is what makes us unique. It is what makes us different. So, love's defined. God is love. Love is described. The fruit of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 13. But here's, here's the greatest part. Love demonstrated by the person and work of Jesus Christ. The love of God has been expressed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it's been expressed to us. And we, by faith, have accepted that expression of love and cultivated it. The best way for you to understand what we're talking about is to stop and think about what God did for you. How He loved you. How did He love you? We know God is love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, there are a lot of people in this world that are hard to love. And, and so it's a really tall order when we, when we start looking at this agape love that, that it should be the distinctive of this church. When we walk out these doors, we don't even need to run across unsafe people to have this tested. Just with your own family, it gets tested, doesn't it? To love like this. And you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle to love like this. When it's unconditional, they don't deserve it, you don't understand and we'd have a hundred arguments of why we can't love this way. My, my challenge to you is stop and remember how He loved you. And how He continues to love you. And you see, that's why we come back to the view of God expressed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We see it. And the Holy Spirit that lives within us as believers helps to cultivate that and to grow it in our own lives. And this is what His prayer is. That your love would abound more and more. You've not arrived. I've not arrived. If I'm still preaching when I'm 90, I'm going to struggle with these things. I've not arrived. But someday we'll be in His presence and we will be like Him for we'll see Him as He is. Everything is made perfect. It's made perfect in love. So, this idea of more and more means you already have this in you as believers. Okay, we see it. It's already there, this kind of love, this agape love. But my prayer for you is that this love might abound. More and more. You know, if I were to pour a cup of coffee to you, say, come over to the house and have a cup of coffee, and I just kept on pouring until it started overflowing, and it just started going over the sides of the cup, you'd probably get upset. <laughs> I mean, I would. I'd get kind of worked up. Now, but picture yourself as a, as a kid. And you got the bag, and you're going trick-or-treating Halloween candy. And you got your bag, and, and the people come out the front door, and they start pouring into your bag, and it just starts going over the top and over the sides and overflowing. Do you think that kid's going to get real upset? What will they start doing? 
Uh, they're going to start taking, they're going to get either a bigger bag or they're going to start putting in their pockets and they're going to tell their friends to come in there. They could be very, very excited about that. This is really the idea uh, that, that Paul's talking about. I'm praying that your love will be so filling you up and flowing over, that it's just spilling over. And see, this is the Christian life, the Christian testimony. This is the evidence of authenticity. This is what is real. And this is what I'm praying for my grandson. And I'm praying for his grandfather (laughs) as well. Because just like back in the Shema, he says, I pray that these things will be in your heart first then my grandson will have a grandfather that is abounding and growing in love. And he sees the evidence of this agape love. It's not superficial. It's not just I get back. It is something that every part of me, he sees it growing and developing. And in his little life, when love begins to abound, and Paul doesn't specify here love for God or love for... It's it's the whole part of the Christian life. It's a love for God. It's a love for others, a love for your enemies, a love for the body of Christ. And and when that is happening, it resolves everything else you'd ever want to pray for. And that's why you can just say all those other things I'm going to pray for. I pray for this. For my son, for my daughter, for my grandson, for my friends, for the people in this church. So that's the takeaway. You could have figured that out at the beginning. Our prayer is this, that your love may abound more and more. As we look at the rest of this prayer, we're going to start to see some of the the various aspects that that he talks about. But I I would like to encourage you this week to meditate on and to think about how God's loved you. How Not just in the cross of Christ, but in every way. That God has expressed His love to you. And thank Him for that. Because we do not have capacity, none of us, to love like this apart from Him. We love because He first loved us. He causes that. And when you're on the receiving end of the love of God, That's when it begins to spill out of your life. So I think what this does, this simplifies our prayer life, doesn't it? You can take that long list of all the things you want corrected in people's lives, all the the things that you want corrected in your own life. Say, Lord, help me to love you more and more. And help me to love others like you love me. That's my prayer. And that's my prayer for this church, that love would abound more and more. Let's bow together as we pray. Father, you are so good and so patient and so kind to us. And we struggle with a million things. May we get this one thing to love you more, to love you as you've loved us, to love others as you've loved us. Help us get that picture of our God and see Him as He is. A loving God who's addressed every issue in life by what He's done. 
as our heads are bowed. And I don't know that when you put your life up against the test of Scripture, because that's really what is a great revealer, you start to read what love is really like. It's kind. I mean, it's always kind. It's patient. It's, it's joyful. It's, it's, uh, it's not self-seeking. It doesn't get provoked or easily angered. Say, wow. You know, I see so much of that is not true in my life that I really have the right kind of love. Well, that just shows you that what Paul's praying, there's a reason why Paul prays for that, because you've not arrived and there's still growing that needs to happen. So our prayer is that your love will abound more and more. And this is where we begin. We begin by with a fresh view of the love of God to us expressed through Christ. And we thank Him for that. And when we begin to comprehend that and praise Him for that, it becomes a part of our lives. We become reflectors of His glory. You know, there is not one person seated here today that has arrived, that is mature, that's probably feeling really good about measuring your life according to love, agape love. But aren't you so glad that God's patient and kind with you and, he, and He's working this to develop in your life and He's there for you? So let's this morning pray and ask for His help. Lord, help me love you like you love me. Help me love others like you've loved them too. Do that work in my heart, Lord. Do it in my heart first.